Flaunt Squad. <laughs> Welcome to Flaunt Performance Podcast, the show for the voluptuous runner. And I am your host, Aja. And thank you so much to DJ Stack Chip for providing this wonderful intro and outro music. You can go on over to flauntperformance.com to grab 10 Laws of Power for the Voluptuous Runner for free. 10 Laws of Power for the Voluptuous Runner at flauntperformance.com. You know what? It is time for us to stop asking for permission to just go out there and be great and stop trying to hide our greatness. And that's what I'm talking about on today's show with Leah Gilbert. I'm talking about that and a lot more because she is a fascinating elite athlete. And we're going to be talking about that, her training, all of that good stuff. Just enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Leah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, Leah, I was thinking about you yesterday because I know you made a comment on, I think, one of your blogs. You said that women aren't allowed. I don't know what word you use, but you said women aren't allowed to be aggressive and strong and all of those things that we attribute to athletes. And Mm -hmm. it didn't resonate in the beginning because I was like, I don't know, Leah. I don't know if I want to be strong. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I don't know if I want to be that. I, I, and it's crazy. I'm saying that I'm a runner, I'm a swimmer, but I'm not an aggressive runner or swimmer. And I don't, but yesterday I was flipping through the Rob report. I love reading that. And I was just flipping through the ads and everything was about masculinity. Everything Mm. was about men being ambitious and women Mm. were just placed in ads as arm pieces and Mm. as spoils of wealth. So I suppose it's the same thing. Now, Mm. What do you think that does to generations of girls coming up, seeing that in sports and in business and just everyday life? I think we need, I think the first thing that we need to to do is, is to get um, to, to kind of realize the social conventions that we're putting on our girls around what's ladylike and what's not ladylike and, and all of those things about, so when you think about when, when your child's, you know, when you've got a daughter, so my daughter's four and a half and, uh, and today she went to, to preschool and, and she had a dress on and normally they don't like them to wear dresses because they've got climbing gyms and everything like that. But I, <laughs> I let her wear a dress because I, you know, I just think that's not fair on her to limit what she wears for the simple sake that someone might see her underpants because it's not ladylike. And I think once you once you have a child and you start and try and explain things to them, maybe you shouldn't climb that tree in that outfit or maybe you shouldn't do this and maybe you shouldn't do that. But then you have to try and justify it to them so it makes sense. And when you're about to justify it to them and for some reason it's, it's not actually like a logical thing, like if you do that you might get hurt. It's just for something about a societal expectation around them being a girl and and it's a and you realize you think well that's i shouldn't you know i shouldn't be limiting your life experience based on the fact that you're a girl and that we have expectations around what you should wear and how you should behave and and what you should show and and all of those elements so it's it's really i think we need to let 
I mean, as you said, you know, some people don't want to be aggressive and some people don't have an assertive nature and some pe- and that's perfectly okay. But for women who do, who may have been encouraged to perhaps water that down a little bit or may have been encouraged to play that down or play their intelligence down because for females to be aggressive or assertive, it's it's intimidating, it's confrontational, you're misinterpreted as being aggressive or angry or um, I think we really need to lose all of that and just wipe the slate clean and say, you know, you everyone has the right to, to do this within themselves without being judged because they're a male doing it or they're a female doing it. We shouldn't associate different levels of worth or different labels to the same concept. You grew up, I I don't know if you grew up as an athlete, but I know you were an athlete young. I I loved sport when I was young, but I I always held back. Um, You know, I think, you know, I remember from such an early age really aspiring deep in my heart and and dreaming of, of being like a sporting champion. But because I was I was big, there was there was no um, there was nowhere where I could visibly attach that aspiration to because I never saw anyone big in sport. In, in the media or in mass media. So there was no no one for me to latch on to to say maybe I could try that sport or maybe this might interest me. And, you know, like back then, this we're talking about like the, the 80s. So back then, you know, like a lot of – there wasn't plus-size clothing around for kids or – or young women even. So, you know, I was in boys' pants or boys' T-shirts and the uniform didn't fit properly and there was so much awkwardness around. Um, You were really, really, really made aware without people even trying to do it that you were the biggest kid there Um, and and there was that level of awkwardness that always held me back from really trying. But I remember from a really early age just wanting to do something really, really well, but I, I, I just never had that confidence to do it. Who was your first plus size role model or did you have one? I didn't have one. Probably my greatest role model as far as um, uh, embracing your body would be Anna Mears, the Olympic cyclist over here. And what I love about her is that her body is perfectly conditioned for what she needs it to do for her sport. And that's the way that she talks about it and that's the way that she thinks about it and that's the way that she treats her body. So for her, she's um, – and she's got – she's a track cyclist. So for her to, to perform in, in her track cycling, which is sprinting, it means that she's conditioned her body so that she's very, very strong in her legs, in her glutes. Um, and, you know, so, so she, I guess she has a very similar shape to me. But it's – I just loved the way that she understood perfectly what her body needed to do in order to perform in that sport and that's how she conditioned it and that's how she looked after it. And and for me, that made so much sense. It was like here's someone who just treats their body, you know, incredibly well but has – uh, a perfect understanding of how to tune it for her sport. So she's she's never talked about the aesthetics of anything or what her body looked like. And she did have body image issues um, that the press kind of put upon her. But it, I think she's such a great role model in the way that, that she understands perfectly how, how her body is tuned for her sport and nothing else. 
Let's talk about being conditioned for your sport, like you just mentioned. Mm. Why yeah. we when we think athletic, the athletic body, mm. <laughs> media or the fashion industry tries to tell us that the athletic body is slender, a little muscular. But how is that damaging to the psyches of potential plus size athletes? Well, the thing is, is that when you think about it, an athletic body is a body that performs athletic things. <laughs> at, its, at its most base concept, an athletic body is simply a body that, that performs for you. So it's not only doing a disservice to plus-size athletes. Think about the disservice it's doing to um, para, you know, para-athletes or um, wheelchair athlete, you know, like any athlete who who conducts their lifestyle like one and pursues a sport who may not have that, that, you know, I think there's fewer um, people within that stereotypical mould of the athletic body um, than there are people who have other bodies, who are athletic bodies as well. So the the hard thing I think about um, plus-size athletes is that it's – it's the conditioning about you you're either put in a situation where you're not classed as an athlete because of of what your body looks like you no know, despite how it's performing for you pardon me or you you're um you're constantly having to prove yourself so you're having to to prove that you're an athlete because you train so hard or so you, you're kind of you, you can fall into that trap where you seek validation for yourself as an athlete by saying but look at how hard I'm working even despite me being x size so it, it, you can sort of it, it can be difficult on many many ways but I think the the, the stereotypical concept of, of an athletic body actually does a disservice to so many more people than just plus size people. You made the statement factually and scientifically speaking, sweat is not, (laughs) I love this. I love it. I was like, I have to quote this. Actually, and scientifically speaking, um, sweat is not fat crying. Abs cannot be made in your kitchen. And there is no such thing as a bikini body. What do you think it means to be overall fit? Well, I think, see, that's where I, I think it's so important to uh, empower yourself with knowledge around fitness and nutrition because we've lost sight and this is because of, you know, marketing and, and you know, all of the mass media and, and those sorts of things. We've lost um, we've lost track of the, the fact that fitness actually describes the functional capacity of how your body's performing. So as you would know, you've got um, the two different. You've got your two different forms of fitness. You've got your aerobic fitness, which is your base fitness, um, you know, and which is your longer, slower kind of levels of fitness. And then you've got your anaerobic fitness, which is your higher intensity stuff. So people often, when you when we naturally associate the concept of fitness, we think about we straight away think about bodies. We straight away start talking about how I've got to get fit. Um, and fitness in that sense is generally I have to tone up, I have to lose weight, whatever. So we associate fitness straight away with an aesthetic concept and um, and usually, you know, working out and stuff like that when in reality in a factual concept, fitness describes the conditioning that, that our, our bodies are undertaking and that level of performance that or that level of fitness which we have in those energy systems. And it's, um, it's just about 
pairing everything back to the bare facts so that people can see the, excuse my language, but the BS a little bit better um, with with all of the, you know, sweaters, fat crying and, and all of those things. We, we all know that biologically that's incorrect. <laughs> and the more of us that can go, yeah, that's not true and move on, you know, we're going to we're going to eventually be forcing people to think a little bit harder with how they encourage us to connect to fitness and and connect to um to wellness and and health. Now, at one point of it, you said that abs are not made in the kitchen, and I don't know. We're all taught that abs are made in the kitchen. <laughs> I mean, I mean, <laughs> when it comes exactly to conditioning right. the core and all of that, it's made in the kitchen. Where are abs made? Abs are, abs are made when you have an, an absolute lack of any uh, body fat on your abdominals. So I guess, you know, and some people can, can work for years and never have them because of just how their bodies are, are made up. So it, it's about that concept of, you know, the, um, you know, food shaming and weight shaming and, you know, fitness shaming. It's so prevalent and it, it sets that thing up about, for me, the concept of, you know, the abs are made in the kitchen kind of thing is all about uh, food and restriction and remind yourself this if you want abs. You know, not all of us are going to have abs and a lot of people who are elite athletes don't even have abs. You know, abs are, are, are things that come along in particular circumstances they're not all made in the kitchen. We're not out there, you know, rustling them up like a set of cupcakes. So it, um, it's just about trying to connect with particularly a younger audience and say to them, you know, like, don't let this kind of language start and be the voice that's in your head when you're standing in the kitchen working out whether you're going to eat or not. Or, you know, make sure that every nutritional decision you make is based on the facts that you have gained for yourself around what you need to take or what you need to to put into your body to fuel it so it performs for you. You know, like we have to let go of all of those sayings and just understand that I did X form of training today, therefore I'm better off having this, this and this because I need to replenish these minerals into my system. You know, like we all need to be much more autonomous in those decisions that we make. Have you ever had issues with food? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I went on, I think I, um, you know, like I, as, a, as a large child in an otherwise you know, normally weighted family, um, I think I remember seeing, uh, you know, everyone standing around talking about my weight when I was about four. So I'm 37 now um, and I, I remember sneaking food when as early as, you know, six or seven years old when I was cleaning up the dinner plates of the night time and on diets and having my food, you know, restricted and, and monitored and that sort of thing. So um, I, w- I had issues with um, binge eating and, um, and just it was either food either meant a feast or a famine to me for, for many, many years and I had a terrible relationship with it until I stopped. Um, uh, until I stopped dieting and I decided that I wasn't going to and that was uh, five years ago now and um, and I probably eat incredibly um, well as far as nutrition is concerned now but I don't diet at all so I have and I have a very healthy relationship with food now so yeah I for years I had a terrible relationship with food and um, and for that reason I don't monitor what I eat at all 
Oh, I love it. I love mm. it. I stopped too. <laughs> it feels so good. But yeah. was there a particular circumstance that made you say enough is enough? I'm not dieting anymore. Yeah, I I, I knew um, having a daughter and having children is quite a powerful catalyst as to how you want them to, to grow up and the things that you want them to learn about relationships with food. And, and, and I think I was just so damaged that I didn't want that to happen to my children. So I wanted them to, to just see that you ate well because that's how you ate um, and that you ate fruit because that's just what you chose to eat. It was it was that decision. Oh, sorry, I'm bouncing back a lot here. Oh, <laughs> I can hear my own voice. Um, yeah, so it was, it was that decision around um, – not bringing them up in that environment where food was something that was monitored. And I I wanted to get rid of, you know, all the guilt that I and shame that I felt around food and eating. And I just didn't want to have them in that environment where food was being shown to them as that kind of thing. So I decided that um, if I was going to be active and, and if I was going to be healthy – for the remainder of my life, then I just knew within my heart that I couldn't go on another diet and that mentally it wasn't a great place for me and emotionally it wasn't a great place for me. So I had to not restrict anything. I had to avail myself to anything that I wanted, but I asked myself the question, is this going to give you what you actually need right now? And once I asked that question to myself, um, because I wanted to have the most amount of energy that I could have and I wanted to recover quickly uh, and, you know, I wanted to do, I wanted to achieve my physical achievements in a way that I could sustain them. So in order to do that, I had to eat well. Um, so that was the one question I would ask myself is that, is this item of food really going to serve me for what I need right now? How you mentioned this a few minutes ago, but. Women who, well, athletes, not just women, Mm -hmm. plus size athletes minimizing their fitness achievements and pursuits. How do people do that? I keep on saying women, but how do plus size athletes do that? And why do you think plus size athletes do that? Look, I think a lot of us do it. And I think it's just a a basic thing that we do when we all enter uh, the the fitness and and, uh, athletic realm. And I think it is to do with the fact that you don't feel that, that your body fits that particular mould of what fit is in, you know, the, 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 the concept of a fit body that's promoted um, to us or an athletic body. And when you feel that you don't fit that mould, you somehow feel that, um, you know, you're not quite there, you know, or you're not quite performing as well because how can you because you don't look like X. So because generally in society a lot of people really don't get that that you don't have to look a particular way to have a particular level of fitness when you get that first response where where the person's eyes kind of twitches if you can see they're trying to compute the fact that you've just ran x but you look like that you think oh well hang on a minute maybe i need to justify it a little bit better or um you know maybe okay well i didn't run very fast or i only ran and i and then i walked a bit and and so we we tend to cheapen our own experience just for the sake that other people don't get it and other people aren't able to to have an open mind that uh, that fitness is actually a physiological thing and it's not an appearance based 
concept. So I think, you know, and then you you feel like you you um you start cheapening things so I went for a run or walk or I went for a, a swim but I'm not very good I stop every 25 meters and uh you know the fact of the matter is is that we're all achieving the same things and we're all showing up and we're all doing this work yet we're cheapening it just for the sake that you know someone else isn't getting it and um and we really shouldn't do that we really should just own our training and be proud of it and um and own our pace own our performance and and be proud of the fact that we showed up and we did it you made another statement another quote (laughs) i have another leah quote (laughs) female sporting labels need to stop pushing models in their clothing and start Mm -hmm. putting female athletes in their gear what image do you think that these sporting labels are trying to sell us? I think they're still in the, the old mode of aspirational marketing. And fitness marketing and sporting marketing has always been in that mode of uh, assuming that when we look at someone in fitness gear or we look at someone in, in doing sports is that we aspire to look like that person or be like that person. And I think they're still in that mode where they feel the expectation for the person to, um, in their gear, to be really composed and, and be, you know, attractive, tick all of those, um, you know, mass media marketing um, boxes while still being able to, you know, somewhat hold a static active pose. And I think people really actually want the complete opposite. And I think, um, you know, I was saying my husband and I were talking about this this morning because we were, we were looking at the fact that there was a brand that, that um, a swimsuit brand that's done a, a gym to swim range and sent me some gear and I did a quick video of myself training in it before I went for a swim. And, um, and that, video that they've shared has actually had more views than most of their their model um based videos um which and we were sort of talking about okay well you know what what that's really interesting that's fascinating what you know what's the difference and i think it's people just want to see how the garment performs you know in the age of online shopping and and um and online ordering i think people just want to to see how that garment is specifically fitting for that purpose so i don't think we're looking at the person that it's on at all like i don't think that the amount of views had anything to do with it being me i think it had so much to do with the fact that he was a person actually moving and doing physical activity in this particular gear so how was it how was it holding up you know was she hitching a pants was she holding the top you know all those things that we factor into our decision making when we make a purchase for a product that performs for us and we want relatable people and we want real people who are actually doing that sport to to be reflected in that product I, I, you know i know that that's what i want to see and i know that that's what other plus size athletes would love to see and i think a lot of other people would like to see that because i think authenticity and uh and and someone who actually does that sport is valued much higher than having a, a very well-known model pose in the gear or, or you know, do it looking like they do that sport in the gear, I think. Are sporting labels listening to the needs <laughs> of plus-size athletes? <laughs> no, no. But it, it's hard in, in my area of the world too because I'm over in my little triathlon corner over here, you know, like I, I'm not... 
I'm not, you know, your usual person who 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 just runs or just rides or um or or you know goes to the gym and and does boxing sessions or does yoga and stuff like that. So in in other areas, I think it is, and I think there there is beginning to be a greater there's a, a much greater range of gear available for basic um, workouts and, and and that kind of fitness area, but specific performance. Uh, apparel as far as compression tights um tri suits cycling gear so real niche areas that they are lagging behind uh and i'm really passionate about supporting the smaller labels that are that are stepping up and that are spending the money on research and development for performance products for larger athletes um and you know i'm much i'm very in the mode of of helping them out because i think what they're doing is fantastic because the big companies they don't care they're happy to go into the basic active wear area but as far as they're concerned we just go for walks with our friends or we do some stretching or we you know or we ride a bike you know around the block kind of thing they they're not in the mode of understanding that there is a, a range of of customers who are a size 16 plus who actually perform in their gear and who would like to recover in a pair of compression tights or who need a, a pair of you know more wicking fabric or you know the technical performance gear no that's lagging behind and plus size athletes who perform hard. Let's talk about your training schedule. Uh-huh. <laughs> what is a typical week like for you? Uh, at the moment, I'm in base training. So the, the typical week for me is I train six days a week. Um, I train twice a day in a, about four of those days. And then I'll do longer sets for the longer ones. So, so to, for example, today I raced on Sunday and I had yesterday off and I've just been and done a, an easy 30-minute run. And then um, this evening I'll, I'll go for a swim. So, yeah, so, you know, for a couple of days in the week I'll train morning and night and then the other days I'll do one longer set um, in the in the day as well. So, yeah, so I, I can't – about the hours are probably about 10 in, in the week maybe. Um, but yeah, six days a week I train at the moment. And you said that Australia is lagging behind recognizing plus size athletes. And for mm. those of us in the States, we can't even imagine another, another place lagging behind what's going on here. Mm. What makes you say it is lagging behind? It's, um, it's, it, it is very much lagging behind. The, the body positive movement is taking uh, in the last say, 12 months has really taken off, which is, which is fantastic. But the, the representation of larger bodies um, beyond a certain size is still not present. So a lot of people are talking about embracing your body more and, and, and that kind of thing, but they're, they're only being represented up into like a size 18 in, in all these people that are, that are doing these great things. So there's still a real lack of representation in visibility of larger bodies and particularly larger athletes so um you know our our country is terrible as far as corporate sponsorship of of elite female athletes let alone acknowledging that there's a whole different area of women out there who are active and beyond a certain size as well so you know they they're still very much in the mode of but if you train this hard how come you're still so big 
<laughs> don't you wish you were smaller? You know, what they, they, they still have the, they still kind of ask me, is it, is it frustrating for you that you train six hours, you know, six days a week and you're still a size 16, 18? So it's, they're, they're still back getting their heads around the concept that someone can actually, you know, be fit and large, let alone be athletic and, and large at the same time. So bless their cotton socks. I hope they, they catch up eventually. But um, <laughs> whether they do that or not, yeah. So they are still very much, you know, they're, they're trailing along behind because it, I think it'll take one really brave brand or one really brave campaign and um, that'll, that'll put it out there and that'll make people understand what it is that we really want to see in, in marketing, in the media, um, in, in everywhere, what we want to see visible. So, yeah, it, someone will do it and someone will do it soon, but until one, one person steps up and, and does it, an ad campaign or something with a, a plus-size athlete in it, then no one's going to do it. What happened 12 months ago? Why has it been going on for 12 months that people have coming out and saying that you should embrace your body? Well, um, one of the greatest movements that's happened over here is the movie, the the movie Doco Embrace, and it's um it it was put together by a, a lady called Taryn Bromfit, who um, detailed her own story of of having issues with her own body and becoming a a, a bodybuilder and, and a, a a bodybuilding like as as far as aesthetic competitions. And um, and saying that at that time when she was training for her competition, she never felt unhappier with herself. Um, and then she um, she you know put some put weight back on and and you know became more comfortable in her body. And so she has done a documentary which has gone. Um, it was in the US recently. Um, and um, around, you know, why is it that we don't embrace our bodies more and, and exploring that whole concept. So that's um, there's a real movement towards that now and that's that's been able to start a conversation for a lot of people who didn't have one before. Um, so that's been great on a, on a mass level. So, it, But it's um, the other thing too which is a little bit tricky is that other companies are starting to recognise the power of, of having some element of body positivity or inclusiveness in their marketing or in their product angles. So there's a few that are trying to jump on the bandwagon and, and realising that these are things that people want to read about or these are things that people want to see. But as I said before, it's um, they're only hitting up to a certain size and a, a certain body type, so not all bodies are represented here yet. Um, and, and, you know, they'll move on when the next shiny thing comes up and, and it'll be the people that really believe in body positivity and self-acceptance that'll be still carrying on the message in, in time. We are recording this interview on December 12th. And we are heading into the holidays and everybody is going to make New Year's resolutions. Mm -hmm. And the diet industry is going to explode for a couple of weeks and then it's going to die back down. How, mm -hmm. how can we take our power back from the diet industry right now? The one thing if you want to commit to anything is to commit to understanding that you are worth the effort in developing your knowledge around fitness and basic nutrition so that you can make the rules for yourself about what serves you 
and your body when it comes to health and fitness. Not everybody, every, every single body is made slightly differently. All forms of training don't respond to people in the same way. All forms of eating don't form, you know, don't, don't work for people in the same way. We need to understand this and we need to really tune into our bodies and become autonomous thinkers and independent thinkers and set the rules up for ourselves around what we do to advance our fitness or to, to pursue as far as movement. And we need to understand that we don't have to do what people tell us to do anymore. If we, under, if we develop a basic understanding of, of what we have to do in order to achieve a particular fitness goal, then we can start working towards things that we find joy in and that we can start working towards things that are meaningful to us and that we've aspired to and that, that we can sustain for the rest of our lives because fitness means so much more than just physically showing up and, and getting the job done. Um, and as far as nutrition is concerned, just learn the basics from, from some form of independent source and take back your authority over your own food intake. Leah, you entered your first 10K the day before the race. What made you do that? I think once you once you build up a base level of fitness, I think you you start and understand just what you can um, you know what you can achieve and what your potential is. And I think at that time I'd committed to just being fearless. And you know I still commit to that when I when I think of uh, you know when I enter things. And I, I I think the furthest that I'd gone was maybe I knew that I could run seven kilometers, and I figured I'd just suffer out and survive the other three. <laughs> And um, and that was what I thought. I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. I've you know I've got everything to gain by having a go and and seeing what I can do. So it was just the the fact that I, I you know I believe in myself and and I, I knew that I had you know seventy percent of the distance under my feet. So I I thought that um, I could just survive the rest of it. And I think that's that's a mentality that you get in once you start and have so much more faith in yourself than, than what you, you may have before is that you, you understand that your resilience is, is at a high level so you can just um, hang in there and, and get it done basically and, and achieve what, what it is that you want to and be that, that, that fearless person that you want. How did you do in that race? I did really well actually. I actually ran the whole way so it was um, – it was really exciting, and I and I still remember the you know the feeling of crossing the finish line and and seeing Sachi and and my husband there and getting really exciting and and you always remember your firsts with all of those distances and it was the first thing I, distance that I've done above five kilometers I think so it was just another one of those wow if I can do that then what else can I do moments and um, yeah I haven't looked back from there. What was your toughest run ever? Oh, every triathlon run is pretty tough um, for me because it, um, you know, I still have to deal with the mentality of, of, you know, wanting to pace myself versus just doing, you know, just throwing myself in there and, and suffering. So um, that's always pretty tough. But probably the hardest one that I've ever done and that I actually cried at the end of was an event where I did a 17 and a half kilometer run. And um, and I was one of the slower people and the people at the aid stations kept asking me, are you the last person? Are you the last person all the way? 
And I was like, no, I'm not. I don't think I am. And then I was about one kilometre away and I had to wait at a set of traffic lights and it was ran by a gym. And one of the gym's trainers came up to me and said, oh, have you had a hard day, have you? And I'm like, well, I have run, you know, about seven kilometres further than I ever have. Um, So, you know, I think I'm actually doing pretty great. Uh, is there anyone behind you? And, and it was just the most negative conversation. <laughs> and I just wanted to cross that road and get away from her. And then by the time I got to the finish line, all of the formalities had finished and no one no, even noticed me crossing it. Um, and I was in so much pain that I just I got to the car to see my husband and I just cried because my body hurt that much. And, um, and, you know, the experience at the end of it where I was just, you know, no one, but no one needed to know that I crossed that finish line except me. So, you know, I understood that. But it was just that, you know, the constant, you know, I was just putting myself out there so much, um, yet there was just that lack of understanding of, of it on, um, on the organisers and the people involved part, I guess. So that was probably my hardest one that I could think of. With all that negativity going on, what in the world did you tell yourself in order to keep going? It was just self-belief. And it was just, it was just sometimes, I think some, you know, some people thrive off, off doubt. And I've learned to thrive off it. I've learned to, to think, you know, you, you know you, you're making judgments on, on my courage and my determination and my tenacity based on what I look like. And, I, and you can't do that because you don't know what sort of heart I have and you don't know what my soul is and you don't know my story. So I'm going to keep going and, and I'll show you because I've learned that I don't need validation or I don't need acceptance and I don't need approval from anyone except my myself and the achievements that I set out to 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 aspire to are for no one except myself and um and I think once you understand that within yourself what other people say and what other people do it can be like an annoying little noise but you choose what power you give it and you choose to either let it fuel the fire or you choose to not spend any energy on it whatsoever. And there, I make differing decisions based on, on what the negativity is. Um, but everything I do is for myself and um, for the fact that I'll never give up on myself and no one can take that away from me. Has there been a time in your life when you would actually did give up on yourself? Oh, absolutely. Right up until, the, right up until the, um, I started running. I'd always give up on myself and, you know, and I realized it because I was always in that, that mode of, of doing things to be seen doing them or um, to for other people's approval or, you know, like I've been a people pleaser for so long and I've, I've relied on the acceptance of other people and, and I've always relied because, you know, I've been a bigger person. I've always relied on being the nicest person or being the friendliest person or being the funniest person. And I think for so long I, 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 um, I denied what I owed myself for the sake of fitting in with, with other people and making apologies for, for my body. So, um, and I always gave up. I gave up on, you know, I gave up on various things. I gave, most of all, I gave up on fitness and I, I gave up on, um, you know, achieve, you know, setting out to achieve goals. But that's because I wasn't doing things that spoke to me. And once I found what I love to do personally and what I thrive on and, and what I've always wanted to do and what, what sort of movement is relative to who I am, 
then I've always sustained it and, and I never give up because I've now found the thing that I love. And I think that's all it is, is that it's not, you know, it's not necessarily you giving up. It's just the fact that, that you haven't found what it is that's relative to you for you to love it enough to not give it up. What's your biggest athletic dream? I'd like to, to win a championship. I, I'd, I'd actually like to win like a national championship or, or a, a world championship at, at um, triathlon. So <laughs> I, I want to be a champion, basically. So you heard it here, Leah. Leah is <laughs> going to be a champion in a world-class triathlon. I can't wait yeah. to see that. I can't wait. Are you training for that right now? I'm training, yeah, I'm training for um, for a national level event for next, for in June. So my coach and I sat down uh, about six weeks ago and we put the plans into place and, and so I'm just busy executing the basics at the moment and, you know, my performance is ticking away really nicely. So it's, it's, it's actually, um, it's progressing really well. So it's um, it, be exciting to see where it takes me. That is awesome. Leah, how can people get in contact with you? And I know you have various businesses. Let's talk about that for a second, though. You have various, <laughs> we haven't even mentioned that. You have various businesses um, that deal with plus-size athletes. Let's talk about yeah. it. Well, I have, I have Body Positive Athletes, which is the, the blog site, and it's also a Facebook community. Um, I've now put my Instagram um, which is Leah BP Athletes, which you can find um, on Instagram, which is I use that quite often. Um, you can also find me, Leah Gilbert, on Facebook and, and add me as a friend if you like. Or I also have Athena Multisport Magazine, which is a, a great resource for Athena Division athletes um, or anyone who wants to read about training information, nutrition information without an obligation of, of weight loss and focus on calories and lean and that sort of thing. So there's, it's a brilliant resource if you're wanting to learn more a little bit about performance and nutrition, but without having the, you know, an agenda of, of something else there. It's just purely the facts. Mm, I love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much, Leah, for being on the show. You are a wealth of information. I'm pretty sure. Oh, thank you. Everybody is loving this interview. And thank <laughs> it's you. been a pleasure. Thank you. Even with our weather issues and the call has been dropping, but we got through it. We got it done. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Have an awesome day, Leah. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much.